page 1618, if you're using your pew Bibles, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 44. What a blessing that we get to go to God's word and to think on his truth for these next moments. Luke 12, God's word given to us, his people, for our good. Let us attend to its reading. Luke 12, 22 through 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid. Little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's word endures forever. Amen. In a well-known book about stress and its effects of our lives, the, the author, a neuroscientist, did something very similar to what Jesus does in the passage before us. He pointed to the animal kingdom and suggested that there's something we can learn about them and how they deal with stress or how they take stress into their lives and what they do as a result of it. The name of his book was Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. For animals... Stress, anxiety, is a much more acute and concentrated feeling. You are starving for food, and so that moves you to action. Or uh, you're being chased by another animal who wants you for their food. That's the kind of stress and anxiety that animals have. Human beings can't turn these feelings off much of the time. We lie awake at night at 2.30 in the morning thinking about an upcoming deadline. Or we worry about that life-threatening illness even if we don't have it and there's no signs that we do have it. We worry about whether or not Social Security will remain a benefit 50 years from now. The scientist, this author of this book, made some observations about how people deal with stress. It was interesting. There are ups and downs to how we study stress and, and what we are to do about it. One thing he said is that if you give people a sense of control in their lives, that may help them 
uh, deal with their stress, but if they have a sense of control in their lives and then a big problem comes upon them, what tends to happen is they will blame themselves. And they'll blame themselves, and as a result of that, they will become more stressed, more anxious. Or uh, perhaps you could give people warning signs about stress. You give them a warning that something stressful is about to happen in your life. Well, that can work sometimes, but if you wait too long to bring the stress upon those people, then they become more stressed again because they're worrying about when it is going to happen. Interestingly, this author suggests that friends and family, uh, social connections, community is what is the best thing that helps human beings deal with stress. It's interesting, isn't it? Because God essentially says the same thing. Our heavenly father, our righteous older brother, the community of believers that gather around in looking to Jesus for their salvation. This is what Jesus calls our attention to in order to help us with the worries that we feel. These things give us the eternal perspective that we've been seeing in this chapter. The eternal perspective to find our sufficiency and our rest in God alone. So we're going to look at the what the why and the how of the worries that Jesus addresses in this passage. What is it? What causes it? Why does Jesus command us not to worry? And then how does he help us in dealing with these worries and these anxieties? First thing to notice is Jesus is speaking to his disciples again. So he has turned once again to his disciples who uh, would take this differently than other people, right? Jesus has sent out his disciples before to proclaim the good news, giving them nothing but the clothes that they had on their back. They were not able to bring food or extra money or extra shoes with them. So they were really dependent upon the generosity of others. And Jesus says this to them. He's going to send them out once again after he is resurrected from the dead. He's going to say, Now you can take extra food and money and clothes with you, and that's recounted in the book of Acts, but Jesus wants them to keep this perspective that he tells them to have here. Don't worry about the basic necessities of your life because you have a heavenly father. And Jesus wants us to have that perspective as well. This is theological thinking. We need to arm ourselves with this kind of mindset and perspective that will allow us to obey what Jesus commands here. And that leads us uh, to consider the second part of an introductory remark, and that is this whole chapter, Luke chapter 12, is dealing with this eternal perspective that Jesus wants us to have. He has applied it to fear. Who do you fear? Do you fear man or do you fear God? He says, fear God with an eternal perspective, knowing that he is the one who can determine an eternal destiny. He has applied it to wealth and finances. And then in here, he, uh, here in this passage, he applies it... Um, to anxiety and to worry. But what is the kind of worry that Jesus is talking about? Most of us know what worry or stress is because we feel it. Some of us feel it a lot, every day perhaps. Some of us feel it only when there is a big reason for it. But we all know what it is. We all have concerns or worry. But there's a type of worrying that can lead to sin. And that is what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about this worry that leads to sin. And what he's talking about is a worry or an anxiety that is a dominating or paralyzing terror of concern in your life. It dominates your life. It paralyzes you from being able to act, from being able to glorify God, from being able to obey him. That is what Jesus is speaking about. 
These are kinds of concerns that touch every part of our being, right? Physically, muscle tension, heart palpitation, psychologically, restlessness, sleeplessness, emotional ups and downs. Socially, we're affected by it. It affects the way that we relate to others around us, whether we become more dependent on them or whether we withdraw from all of our relationships. So these are problems of the mind, of the emotions, of the whole person. And Jesus addresses it because it can easily become a sin when it begins to dominate our lives, when it paralyzes us from being able to act and live for him. What causes these kinds of things? Well, Jesus is talking about a worry and anxiety that has to do with the basic things of our lives. But these are usually the things that kind of our, our anxieties lead us to, where they all stem from these worries about the basic things of our lives. There are many people who are dominated by fears of life-threatening illnesses, even though they may not have them at the time. For many, there's a paralyzing fear of losing financial security, even though they are relatively financially secure. Many people are terrified or worried or concerned about those close to them in their life having some kind of life-altering episode. These are all very understandable worries and concerns, and most of them fall under the kinds of categories that Jesus uses today, the basic and necessary things of life. But he gives us a command, doesn't he? He says, do not worry And he applies this command to two things. Do not worry about your life and do not worry about your body. It's fitting that it would come in this passage here in Luke chapter 12. In the previous passage, Jesus has applied this eternal perspective to our money and our finances. And if we obey what Jesus says there and our life changes in the way that we think about the earthly possessions that we have, worrying will be nipping at our heels because we will begin to think to ourselves, well, if we begin to act relatively to our money uh, with this eternal perspective, uh, the way that Jesus commands, certainly we're not going to be able to have or get all of the things that we need. Jesus gives a reason for this command. He says, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Sometimes we hear parents say something similar to this, don't we? Uh, My parents, when I was growing up, would constantly have a, a similar refrain that they would say to me. They would say, life is about more than sports, right? And, um, that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's not trying to be dismissive. See, my parents were telling me that uh, I needed to realize that in the grand scheme of things, sports really weren't that important. Now, of course, they were wrong, right? No, they were right. They were right. Um, but Jesus is not being dismissive. He's not saying food and clothes are not important. He's saying they are important. He's not being dismissive. He's being expansive. He's saying if you if you worried, if you're obsessed, uh, terrified of, uh, about concern of food and clothes, you're going to have tunnel vision in your life, and you're not going to see the ultimate purposes for why God puts you on this earth. You're not going to see the reasons why God created uh, His people and recreated them for His glory. So Jesus wants to expand our thinking to be able to see the goodness. Of God. He's saying, realize your God-given calling. Serve those purposes. Don't be locked into the tunnel vision of worry and stress. That's the reason for this command. And that's what he says to do. Why? Why should we not worry? Jesus gives us three reasons. 
And I'm sort of borrowing, if you will, these reasons from uh, my pastor in seminary. Uh, His name is Jim Neuheiser. So Jim, if you're listening to this, I don't assume that you would be, but I got these from you. He told us that worry is senseless, useless, and faithless. It's senseless, it's useless, and faithless. First, worrying, the way that Jesus describes, is senseless. It's senseless because your heavenly Father cares for you. If God has given you life itself, you can trust him to provide for the things that you need. So you need to take account of reality. And what is the reality? If you believe that God created you, if you believe that he brought you forth by his will, if you believe that he has given you life, then that needs to have all kinds of implications for how you actually live. And the mindset that you have that fills your days, that God is a sovereign God and he actually holds all things In his hand, all things are shaped by his eternal decree. And I know that he is a good God who is in control and I need to think and act and live in accordance with that. God wanted you to be born, so he created you. God wanted you to be in your present circumstances and here you are. God wanted you to be sitting in this sanctuary this morning and even listening to this sermon. So, that, so we must ask ourselves whether we think and we live and we act as if God exists. And then, do we think and live and act as if we believe that not only is this God real, but he is our heavenly father. Earthly fathers can attend to some needs, and in many cases they can be wonderful protectors and providers. But a heavenly father far exceeds what an earthly father can do, even the very best of earthly fathers. In chapter 11 of Luke, remember Jesus has said that our heavenly father knows how to give um, all good gifts because earthly fathers even know how to give good gifts. Our heavenly father gives us eternal life and spiritual blessing. So Jesus uses things that are not God's children in order to argue from uh, the lesser to the greater. He points out things in our passage this morning, ravens and Lilies. These are not the children of God. That's reserved for the believing community on earth, all those who trust in the Lord and who look to Him in faith. And Jesus says, God feeds them, God clothes them. But God is your heavenly Father. He's not their heavenly Father, He's your heavenly Father. Thus, do you think and do you live and do you act according to that? Have you taken account of reality? If you haven't, and it causes you to worry about the basic necessities of life, your worry is senseless. The sovereign God of the universe has set his love upon you. Worry is also useless. Our worry is useless because it accomplishes nothing. Verse 25 points out why it is useless. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Of course, the answer is no one. No one can do that. Maybe you remember the, uh, the King James translation of this verse. It said this, Which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? And that's a, a literal translation of what Jesus says here. He's, he's either talking about the span of our lives, we cannot add to the span of our lives by worrying, or we cannot add any height to our bodies, literally. We cannot add to our stature by worrying about it. Both of those things make the point. You can't make yourself taller by worrying. You can't add to your life 
by worrying. It's useless. It gains us nothing. And thus we are anxious for nothing when we are anxious in those ways. It's more than useless, though. It's more than useless. It's actually a huge detriment to our lives. It, it deters us from our ability to live for the glory of God. Uh, Pastor Phil Riken put it this way, and I'll just read from his words because I think he puts it so beautifully. He says this, Anxiety always subtracts. Worry is a thief. It steals our time. Our thoughts turn to troubles, and then rather than praying about them or doing the things God is calling us to do, we waste time worrying about them. Worry steals our rest. We lie awake at night, anxious about tomorrow, and then we get up too tired to work hard, and this only adds to our anxiety. Worry steals our obedience as it tempts us to other sins like irritability, addiction, laziness, or on the other hand, overwork. Worry steals our hope as we fear the worst about the future. One thing, uh, one point to be seen in all of this is that those who tend to worry will spend so much time worrying about the things that will never happen to them, like cancer or bankruptcy perhaps, and they don't even know whether or not God has willed that for them. There's so many people who are consumed with these worries, not knowing God's will for them for the future. So Soren Kierkegaard said this, Worriers feel every blow that never falls, and they cry over things that they will never lose. This, of course, does not mean that tragedy, trials, hard times will never befall you. In fact, that the Bible assures us uh, something different. It says that we will go through hard times. But this means that we cannot spend our time being anxious for nothing when it gains us nothing. And rather, the kind of attitude we must adopt is seeing, taking account of the reality and saying, God is a sovereign God and he is our heavenly Father. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the one who made the heavens and the earth. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love him, who are the called according to his purposes. Psalm 84, verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's important to remember, isn't it, that the promises of God are not negated by present circumstances. So no matter what someone's present circumstances are, God says, blessed is the one who trusts in me. Isaiah 41, I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. So that doesn't mean that trials won't befall you. It also doesn't mean that you need to be the kind of person who is sort of happy-go-lucky, right? Totally carefree, not caring about anything, right? The, the plane of your life is in a nosedive, and you're just saying, everything's perfect, right? No, nothing, nothing bad is happening. God still calls us to address the needs of the day and to live each day like it matters, to plan and to tackle what is in front of us. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, tomorrow has enough worry of itself. And the, the point is, you need to be concerned about the things that are right in front of you. Proverbs chapter 21 says this, The plans of the diligent lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The point of what Jesus is saying is that God has determined the confines of your life, from your first breath to your last breath. So you cannot worry about that. You cannot worry about it. And here's the point. Since God has given you life, and since God has determined your days, 
He will take care of all of your basic needs right up unto the last breath that you breathe. It may not always be the way that you want it. may not always be with the exact circumstance that you, that you desire. But God's ways are higher than our ways. And worrying about it is useless. And then finally, it is faithless. It is faithless. Worry, this kind of worry is faithless because God has promised us all things. He has promised us all things. He says he is our strength and our salvation. And yet, if our lives remain worried, remain littered with worry and anxiety, if we remain paralyzed by these kinds of anxieties, how much are we living out the fact that we believe the promises of God. Our lives are not reflecting it, are they? Isaiah 12, verse 2 says this, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Romans eight thirty-two, it's a very famous verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And that's the point. When we look at the cross, we see the cross and we see the work of our Savior, we're shown the truth that God will not stop to give us all things. He has given us His Son to give us eternal life, to give us eternal blessedness. When we look at the cross, we know that God will not hesitate to give us all of the good things which He has promised. That's what He promises, all things. So when our perspective is earthbound, when the things for which we hope ultimately are not found in God, or we think that, that our ways are higher than God's ways. The book of Proverbs, what does it say? There's a way that seems right to a man, but its way ends in death. We need to adopt this account of reality that says God's ways are higher than our ways, and he knows what is best for us. And we find the comfort to do that at the cross, because at the cross we are forgiven At the cross, we are made righteous. At the cross, we are given eternal life. And God says, I'm going to give you all things because of what Christ does for us. So finally, as we close, then how how do we uh, obey Jesus' commands? He says, do not worry. That's a a hard thing, isn't it? That's a hard thing even even to strive for. It seems hard because many of us are so taken with worrying and, uh, and not trusting God as we ought couple of things. The first is that Jesus tells us to consider. Consider. He says that in verse 24 and 27 relative to the ravens and the lilies. Consider the ravens. What do we do when we consider them? We see that they are in many ways detestable creatures, but God gives food to them. They were signs of God's judgment upon people. If, if the ravens are eating your flesh, that means God has rejected you. They were hated in the Old Testament in Israel. But God says that I provide for them. I give them their food, right? Psalm 147, he gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. See, the, the, the connection there in Psalm 147 is the dependence that the ravens have upon God's ability to provide for them and the joy that God takes in those who find their strength and their hope in him. For those who hope in his steadfast love, that's what God takes pleasure in. He takes pleasure in people who trust him at all times, and who look to him 
for all that they need. That is what we learn from considering the ravens. We also consider the lilies. Martin Luther said this, The flowers stand there and they make us blush. They become our teachers. Thank you, flowers, you who are devoured by the cows. God has exalted you very highly that you become our masters and our teachers. These are things that have no capacity for trust, animals, or plants. But God wants us to use our capacity for trust, to trust him, the giver of all good things, the one who has promised eternity for you in his son, Jesus Christ. See how much more he loves you than he loves the ravens or the lilies because he has given you eternal life. There's generally this sort of lesser to greater mentality that we can have every day. We we walk around the things that we see. We walk into beautiful buildings and we should be taken in some sense of wonder and awe that lights are on or that it's 10 degrees below zero and we're inside with with a t-shirt on. You see that all of the goodness that God has showered upon this world and we need to be filled with gratitude to say, wow, all of the things that God has done and yet upon me, his child, look at the love. He has showered upon me. When we're filled with this kind of gratitude, we can be more equipped to fight, to obey God, Christ's commands, to fight against our worry and our anxiety. And secondly, consider, and then secondly, do this. We come to the God who satisfies, right? We need to come to the God who satisfies. If you would deal with the worries, stresses that you have, you need to believe that God can satisfy you and that he can fill your every need in a way that that nothing and no one else can. Isaiah chapter 55 says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. God is saying, come to me. I don't charge an admission price. I give my grace, and I bestow my grace upon my people. He says, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jesus says that the, 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 the pagan world runs after all of these things, thinking that it's going to fill them, thinking that it's going to satisfy them. Only God can satisfy you. This is a, a sermon in itself, and I just mention it here, um, just, just to keep it in our minds, that God is the one who satisfies us. When we're filled with worry, uh, when we have this kind of paralyzing terror of concern, What do we do? We look for a fix elsewhere, right? We're always looking for a fix. What's going to take away these kinds of stresses, these kinds of anxieties? For some people, it's it's a a substance. For some people, it's food. Uh, For some people, it's shopping. For for, for others, it's it's a relationship that they have uh, in this world. All of those things, what's the common thread? Can't satisfy. It can't satisfy the needs and the longings of your heart. And none of them work. Seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah 55 goes on to say. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And then finally, Jesus says, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. To seek the kingdom is to seek the reign of God. This is the expansive view of life that Jesus is talking about. Not being dismissive, food and clothing, of course they're important. Let God provide for your basic needs. But the expansive view of life is that we get to seek the reign of God in our lives and in our hearts and in this world. Queen Elizabeth I once asked a man to go to India for him. 
and to handle some, some business she had there. And this man, he had a struggling business at the time. He said, I don't think I can go to India. My business isn't really doing very well, and I, got, I have all these concerns back here. The Queen of England looked at this man, uh, you know, probably humble means, and she said to him, you take care of my business, and I'll take care of yours. So he went away to India, and while he was away, she became a patron of his business. Uh, tons of other people heard about his business and became more successful while he was away at India than it ever had before in his life. And that's the kind of mentality we need to adopt. God says, I'm going to supply your basic needs. I'm going to get you through every moment of this life that I have ordained for you. So Jesus says, fear not, little flock. Why does he say little flock? Because a flock of young sheep is particularly vulnerable. There is no way that they can stand against the strength of a wolf if it were to come around and see a flock of all young sheep. But if you have a shepherd who is sovereign, if you have a shepherd who is good, then you can fear not. And that allows you to adopt this mentality which Jesus comes back around to, which is almost an application of last week's passage, isn't it? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Jesus isn't saying sell everything you have, liquidate all that you have, and bring every account down to zero. It's not what he's saying. He's saying if you adopt this mentality of seeking the kingdom, of seeking the reign of God in your life, of seeking ways to show forth the way that you believe God is king and that Jesus is Lord of all, then it will bring you to do things that the world would look at and they would say, that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? But it doesn't mean bring every account that you have to zero. It means let the freedom of Christ reign and rule in your heart and let this mentality of seeing the reign of God let that be what controls you. That sometimes you will do things that just wouldn't make sense to a world that says you need to be like the foolish rich man last week who, when he has an abundance of crops, says, I need a bigger barn so that I can hold them. Francis Schaeffer and his wife lived in Switzerland and they had fallen upon uh, sort of a dry time in terms of their monetary support. It was looking like they were going to uh, have to move back to the States, and they were running this vibrant Reformed ministry in the 20th century. Francis Schaeffer, perhaps the most influential Reformed pastor of the 20th century, and looking like they were going to have to move back home. And his wife prayed one night and said, looks like you know, we're going to have to stop this ministry. And uh, Lord, you, you know, we're basically at, our, at the end here. We would need you to show us something in order to, to stay. And the next morning there was a check in the mail uh, for $1,000, which was basically exactly what they had needed just to get them through the next month. And over the next month, they saw God just abundantly provide for them. They got to talk with those people who had sent, spent, uh, sent to them that $1,000 check. And it was a, a family that had come from humble means and they sort of came into a large sum of money at a certain time. And they were going to use that money as a down payment on an investment house to create another stream of income. And they were walking through that, that second house that they were going to buy, and they were walking through the basement, and the wife looked up, and she saw that termites were beginning to, to eat through the beams uh, at, at the top of, of the basement. And she said, turned to her husband, and she said, doesn't that remind you of where Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy? And her husband said, yeah, I, I think it does. And so they had never really had money to give away, and they just decided that they would pray to seek the Lord's wisdom, whom they could bless. And they decided to send this check to Francis Schaeffer and his wife 
because they had been particularly blessed by their ministry. It ended up being exactly what they needed at that moment. And uh, they met that, that couple one, one time, a long time after that, and able, able to just reflect that this eternal perspective sometimes brings us to do something that maybe doesn't make sense to the world, but when you seek the kingdom, when you seek the reign of Christ, then you are honoring him with your life, and you're having the expansive view of Christ that he says to have. Live knowing that you can honor God and that you can live for him. We live in this world as if we truly believe that God is the rightful king, even though so many run from him. And we live knowing and believing that Jesus Christ, the king of kings, will come one day to find out who it is that lived according to his reign. May we live that way, trusting in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory. We praise you and we thank you for your word and for your truth. We pray that you would bless it to us, that you would open it up to us, and that we might live in a way that honors you and that is obedient to the command of Christ. May our sufficiency be found in you alone. Amen.